If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. 1 Kings 18. First Kings chapter 18. And while we're going there, uh, I'm just curious how many of you like roller coasters? Show of hands. I have fans of roller coasters. All right, all right. How many of you do not like roller coasters? My hand is up with you. All right, all right. The, the no roller coasters have it, by the way, just so you know. Uh, that means there will be no trips to Great America as a church. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, you know, I remember the first time I went on a roller coaster. And uh, it was with a friend. And, and uh, the first time I got on this thing was one of these big steel roller coasters. You know, it wasn't... Uh, in fact, I prefer those because you're like, you know, you're strapped in. Uh, this, what's that one up at Great America? The, the one where it's the cars and it's the American Eagle or the, something like that. It's the rickety, the old wooden rickety style. You know, you literally feel like you're just going to fly off the tracks. Every, every bump, you feel everything, everything. The steel ones, at least, it's a smooth ride. Uh, albeit at 70 miles an hour, you know, 80 miles an hour, whatever it is. But I remember the first time I was going, I was, I was, you know, we were doing that incline, that first climb up that hill. And then, of course, as you know, how you kind of get to the top and it sort of hesitates. And, you know, you're there at the top and you're like, what a nice view. And all of a sudden you plummet straight down. And, and he said, you know, if you start to feel nervous, just look at me. And as soon as we started going down, I looked at him and I said, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at you. And from there on in, roller coasters have not been my favorite thing. In fact, any, any ride. Now, I get on the swings with my daughters and after a while I'm just like, ooh, I'm getting woozy. I got to get off of this thing. You know, um, no spring chicken anymore. Uh, and, and I just, you know, it, it, in fact, that happened, didn't it, the other day, Jamie? I said, I, I was on the swings with her. I, I said, I got to get off. I'm feeling dizzy. Uh, but, you know, the thing about roller coasters is, you know, sometimes you're up. Sometimes you're down. And, of course, there is obviously that gravity-defying loop where you go upside down and then that corkscrew where you're... you're you know, you kind of twist and you're upside down again and it's just, it's craziness. You can have it. I don't need it. But today I want to talk to you about a roller coaster ride with Elijah. Because what Elijah experienced toward what seems to be the latter part, for the most part, the latter part of his ministry was nothing can be described in uh, terms that would indicate it's sort of a roller coaster ride. One minute it was up, the next minute it seemed to be literally the depths. And I have experienced that in ministry. I've experienced that in life. You've experienced it as well. I, I don't think that 
that Elijah's experience is so far from what it is that you and I sometimes go through almost at times on a weekly basis. Maybe at times every month or every couple of months, we just, you know, we hit the heights and then it seems like as soon as we do, we're down in the depths. We, uh, I, I have come to know and early on in ministry, somebody once said, you know, there, there is uh, something called post-ministry depression. And I thought to myself, I don't understand that. And then after a while, I began to understand, and not depression in the sense where, you know, you got to go see somebody and get some medication, but it literally is, in one moment you're up here, and the next moment you're down. And there are times we experience this in our services. We have great meetings. We have great services. And we walk out of here, and wow, we're, we, you know, we're walking on air, it seems like. It just... You know, we, we were touched by the Lord. The Lord ministered to us in a great way. The worship was powerful. Everything that took place was wonderful. You came around the altar and felt and sensed the presence of the Lord in such a great way and felt like you had a victory in that moment. And there wasn't anything, at least in your mind at the moment, that could take it away until you went to work the next day. And then all of a sudden, life starts to happen. Trouble comes along the way. Your boss hands you something that you don't want to do. You, uh, you know, somebody, you, your, work, your workplace is just always under your skin, and, and they're there, and they're ready to get rock crawl right under your skin again. And you just, you look in there, and you think, I'd like to go back to Sunday. I'd like to go back to the meeting where I really experienced the presence of the Lord But can I tell you that that is not reality in the sense that that is where we live all the time. Now, I know that there are those who come across like they live in victory constantly. I know some pastors who, you know, honestly, you would would meet them and you would think they never have any trouble. I think I said to my wife a little while ago, I said, you know, I don't know what it is on Monday afternoons. Monday mornings, I'm fine. But Monday afternoons, I'll just lay it all out here for you. Can I just tell you, be honest? I guess I, I'm going to, aren't I? It's already out there. Monday afternoons, all of a sudden, something happens on the inside of me. And I go from being up here, because i got to tell you, when I'm preaching, I love to preach. I enjoy it. I love it. I love being behind the pulpit. I, I enjoy this ministry. I, I, it's what God called me to do. I feel at home when I'm doing it. But on Monday afternoon, something happens where I, don't lo- I no longer feel at home. I no longer feel at home, and all of a sudden, it's what we have tended to call Funky Monday. Has anybody experienced that, too? You know, Monday just comes along, and all of a sudden, yeah, Pastor, you're supposed to be living above, you know, Pastor, come on. I don't know what world y'all live in, if that's what you think. I don't know what world these other pastors are living in if somehow they give the impression that they constantly are up here. Because you know what the reality is, from time to time, you face situations that are so difficult and so hard, and at times, it's simply the mundane things that drive you crazy. And those things begin to bring you down. Do you know this happened to Elijah, of all people? Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet of God. God called him to be a man of God. He called him to to prophesy 
and to be a man of God during a time in Israelite history where the people's hearts were far from God, where they had a wicked king and an even more wicked queen, who we'll talk about in just a few moments. And Elijah went from up here to down here in such a short period of time. And so often we look at these passages of Scripture, if you've read them before in chapters 18 and 19, and you've read them and you thought, well, how could Elijah do that? It's amazing how we get so self-righteous when we read the Bible sometimes. You know, like we don't go through anything that they went through. Meanwhile, it's a mirror of what it is that we're, we're dealing with so often. But Elijah went on a roller coaster ride. And sometimes that's how life is. You go on a roller coaster ride. You're up here one minute and you're down the next. And then all of a sudden there's a small climb and then there's sort of a leveling off. And then all of a sudden it takes another turn and you don't know what's going to happen next. I'd like you to go with me on this roller coaster ride with Elijah and let's get to the very top for a moment. This was his climb up to Mount Carmel. I'm not going to take the time to read it all because we're really dealing with passages in two chapters that are not short at all. But I want to just take a moment and read and, and just relay to you what took place because Elijah experienced on this roller coaster ride an hour of power. An hour of power. And it was up on Mount Carmel you remember when he threw down the gauntlet to the prophets of Baal and said, listen, let's go up on the mountain and there will be you sacrifice to your God Baal, who is not a God at all, but you worship him anyway. You worship an idol. You sacrifice an offering to him and whichever God answers by fire, then he will be God. Let him be the God of the people of Israel. Goes up on Mount Carmel. We know the the story, 450 prophets against one prophet of God. 450 prophets of Baal against one Elijah. And the whole day, the Bible says that the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel had, had you know, they had done everything that they knew to do. The Bible says that in, in, even in some cases, they were so, so, so desperate to get their God to answer by fire and consume the sacrifice that they had placed on the altar that the Bible says they began to cut themselves. Somehow, hopefully thinking that that was going to get their God to answer by fire. And The more that it happened, the more Elijah began to sit back and he began to chuckle a little bit. He began to taunt them a little bit and say, you know, why don't you scream a little louder? Because maybe Baal's asleep. Maybe you got to wake him up. Maybe he's gone on vacation. He's gone on a long trip. you got to yell a little bit louder so he hears you. All day long, the Bible says, until finally they gave up. And Elijah said, all right, now we're going to see what God is going to do. And he builds the sacrifice. He builds the altar, puts the sacrifice on it. And he said, I want you to bring water. We're going to dig a trench around this, this altar, and I want you to bring water, pour water over the sacrifice. Just FYI, fire and water don't exactly mix, right? But pour water over the sacrifice. Pour water. More. Bring more. Pour it over. More. More. Until finally the little trench around the, the altar was full of water. And at that moment, Elijah began to pray. 
And here he is in one of the greatest moments of power in his life. And he had had some wonderful, wonderful experiences. But this probably was the top. And and he's up on a mountain, interestingly enough. And he prays. And the Bible lets us know that God answered by fire and sent fire from heaven and consumed not only the sacrifice. This is an intense heat. It consumed the stones that were there on which the sacrifice was laid and it licked up and dried up all the water that had been poured into that trench around it. And at that moment, everybody knew who the true, almighty, powerful God was, the God who is deserving of worship. There are times when we come into the presence of the Lord and we sense the power of the Spirit in such a mighty way in our lives and we know that God is moving upon us. Last Sunday I know that some of you, the Lord was touching you. He was moving upon you. And yet, in many ways, we come away from that and we say, that's where I'd love to live. I can remember going to Bible camp as a kid, as a teenager going, and as as a young man, as a young person, going to Bible camp. And it was like one or two weeks out of the summer, I'd go to the Bible camp and there'd be such a wonderful, powerful move of the Holy Spirit in such a way that It just, I want, all of us would say, I just want this to last forever. But you know, the reality is, is that that's not intended to last forever. It's intended to pour something into you so that then you can go out into a hopeless, dark, sinful world and you can begin to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ. And you can live a life that shows that you've been changed by His mighty power. It is intended so that you and I can reach out to those who are without hope. Elijah experienced this great, powerful victory. Not only this, but during this whole time and leading through some of Elijah's ministry, he had proclaimed earlier to King Ahab, he said, God, I am going, I'm telling you right now, I am prophesying that God is going to withhold rain from this land for the space of three years. And God did just that. And sure enough, we get to the end of the three years and Elijah says, all right, I'm going to say it now. King Ahab, you need to get down off this mountain. You've been a spectator here and you've seen what God can do. I'm going to tell you right now, God's going to send rain. They look, and not a cloud in the sky. Elijah goes with his servant and he says, I want you to go toward the sea and look toward the sea. He says, I'm going to pray and I want you to look and see what you see out there. Servant comes back. He says, nothing, man. There's not a cloud in the sky. There's nothing out there. He says, go back again. The Bible says seven times the servant went out and then came back. And on that final time, Elijah said, what do you see? And the man said, the servant said, I see a a cloud the size of a man's hand coming up over the horizon of over the sea. And he said, we need to get out of here now because rain is coming. And sure enough, the rain came just as Elijah said. He experienced such a mighty, wonderful power. You see, some of the powerful things that he experienced was God answered by fire. The Lord answered by fire. When he prayed, God came through for him. God gave Elijah holy boldness, though he was outnumbered by the prophets of Baal. You imagine 450 against one. I mean, we get intimidated when it's two people against one. 
you know, you're trying to talk to a coworker and another coworker, an unbelieving coworker comes up, and it's now two unbelievers with one, and we just kind of get nervous and worried. This was 450 prophets of Baal, and yet he stood tall and he stood strong. He was full of holy boldness. He heard the word of the Lord that it would rain once again, and sure enough, rain began to come upon the earth once again. He had faith to pray that rain would come even though it didn't appear as though it was going to happen. Seven times he had to send a servant. Most of us would have given up after three times. He said, go back again. Go back again. Go back again. The faith that, that came from this man. He was up on the mountaintop. And brothers and sisters, there are times where we experience the presence of God and it's as if it is a mountaintop experience. We're at the height of the roller coaster. The view is wonderful. The feeling is wonderful. It's exhilarating. It makes you just say, this is the kind of place I'd like to be when you catch that view. I've been up in tall buildings before and you look out over the horizon over a city and you begin to, to take a look at the view. The view is beautiful. You look out over Lake Michigan from some of the views. It's just gorgeous here in the city and yet you realize that that's not the place where you're really intended to be. We're, we're, we're intended to be on a, a consistent level, on, a, on the ground level of things. And yet, this is where Elijah was at the moment. He was up on the mountaintop, experiencing great and mighty things. But then, something happened. Elijah's story is often our story. and We often forget about these great things in the hour of difficulty. Can I encourage you that during the times of struggle and difficulty and stress in your life where it seems like now the roller coaster is starting to plunge and you're a little worried about how things are going to turn out when things begin to go down, can I encourage you that he was God up on the mountaintop and he is no less God down in the valley where you're going to be. He is no less God in the middle of your problem and in the middle of your situation than he was when you felt and sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit. But here's what he had to experience next. And this probably was the lowest of the low for Elijah. He had to experience the mean queen. The mean queen. Go over to chapter 19. Chapter 19, the Bible says this, verses 1 and 2. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets, the prophets of Baal, with the sword. So Jezebel, get this, sent a messenger to Elijah to say. Now, she's still an unbeliever. That did nothing for her. The events of Mount Carmel changed nothing in this wicked woman's heart. May the gods, her gods, the God of Baal, the God of Asherah, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. A fancy way of saying, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. You're a dead man. I'm going to get you, and there isn't anything that you can do about it. In fact, I am going to say, may the gods deal with me in that way if I don't get you first. Wow. He had to deal with the mean queen. You see, the enemy cannot stand it. The devil can't stand it. When you have 
these wonderful, powerful experiences in the presence of the Lord. He can't stand it to see you victorious. You want to know why the enemy comes along every now and then and tries to create havoc in your life and wreak havoc in your home and wreak havoc in your marriage and wreak havoc in your family? You want to know why? Because he hates you and he hates it when you're victorious in him. In the, in, in the Lord. He hates it when you begin to feel and sense in your heart, you know what, I'm going to make it because the power of God is with me. And we begin to stand firm on the Word and the Word says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and then all of a sudden there's a threat from the enemy and the enemy says, oh no you don't. This is what the mean queen had to say. I'm going to get you. Elijah, I'm going to get you. Now, Elijah does something that we all somehow could not begin to imagine that this great man, Elijah, would ever do. See, if there is something that we have to remember, we have to remember this, that the enemy can only do what he is allowed to do. And right now, from what I read in the New Testament, I see this, that the enemy goes about as a roaring lion. He isn't a roaring lion, as a roaring lion. Now, a roaring lion's going to try to do one thing, send this low roar in order to freeze its prey, to cause its prey to fear so greatly what they hear that it, they they won't run when that lion approaches. The lion will do its best to cause you to fear. I also read in the New Testament that Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. So in other words, he is going to lie to you so as to get you to be paralyzed with fear. So his tactic is really simple, folks. It's not rocket science. It's not anything you have to worry about in a great deal. You just have to be aware and not be ignorant, as Paul says, of Satan's schemes. And that is he is going to try to paralyze you with fear because he's going to come at you with a lie. And a lie that will sound believable. This sounded believable. Elijah knew the reputation of this woman. This woman had already sought out prophets of God, men of God, and had them killed. We read earlier in chapter 18 that a prophet by the name of Obadiah had hid a hundred prophets of God in a cave so as to preserve their lives. She was out to get the people of God. She wanted nothing to do with their God and anything that they had to, to say. And brothers and sisters, there are so often in life where the enemy comes along and he says, I couldn't care less what kind of service you had yesterday. Let me show you how your week is about to unfold. Look at all the bad stuff happening in your life. And we begin to look at that and think, oh, oh my, what am I going to do? Well, I want you to take a look for a minute and see what happened to Elijah. I believe it's quite ironic that Elijah was so afraid of her threat. It seems that we are, in many cases, and in many ways, most vulnerable after our mountaintop experiences. Can I encourage you? And i got to encourage myself with this, too. Because as I've already divulged to you, Monday afternoons can be tough for Pastor Lawrence. I don't know why. 
And it's just, it seems like the enemy wants to come along and say, fine, you had a good meeting yesterday. You felt like you were preaching all right, that you were connecting with the people. But you know what? Let me tell you what your week's going to be like. And you know what? We get fearful and we get worried and we get afraid. Listen to what Elijah did. The Bible says this in verse 3. He entered the desert of despair. Listen to what it says. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This is the man who stood up against 450 prophets of Baal. This is the, these, these men were out there and they were doing their best to defeat Elijah. And Elijah was standing there taunting them. And now the threat of one wicked queen, one mean queen, and listen to what he's doing. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now here's where he goes. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He said, you know what? i got to be alone. I've got to be alone. I want to be alone. His servant stayed behind while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed, listen to this, that he might die. Listen to what he says. I have had enough, Lord. And he said, take my Life. I am no better than my ancestors. Imagine this. Elijah, who had seen fire come out of heaven and consume the sacrifice and literally be such intense heat that it melted the rock, it consumed the rock and licked up all the water, is now saying, Lord, kill me. I'm about ready to die, Lord. You've got to take my life. Verse 5, then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep, and I am so glad that God, there are some prayers that God does not answer. This would be one of them. This is one of those prayers, folks, God may not deliver, and you better thank God he doesn't, because this is the time where I see in the midst of this desert of despair, where we see the greatest exercise of the grace of God and the mercy of God. We see Elijah all of a sudden stricken by fear. You say, well, I, I don't know. You know, there's this one pastor, Pastor Lawrence, that I've heard of. He just always on top, never afraid of anything. Give me a break. Elijah was a man after God's heart. He was a man who went after God, who loved God with everything that was within him. And yet fear took over in this moment and drove him out into the desert to lay there and begin to pray a silly prayer. It caused him to say things that he probably should not as a prophet of God been saying. Lord, take my life. And yet he's out there and now all of a sudden, here's what happens. He gets so tired, he falls asleep. All at once, listen to what the Bible says, verse 5. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Where did this jar? He's out in the desert. There's a jar of water, and there's, there's a little campfire and a little cake that's baking for him. The angel came down, whipped something up for him, left a jar of water, and said, go ahead, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. So he goes back to sleep. 
He's exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, in every way. This man is so tired. I once heard Warren Wearsby say at a conference, a pastor's conference, he said, you know, pastors, he said, sometimes what you really need is not more prayer. You don't need to stay up later. He said, what you really need is you just need a nap. And I believe he went back to Elijah, the story of Elijah. And here Elijah's getting refreshed, and this is the mercy of God on Elijah. You know, God didn't come down to Elijah and say, now how come, Elijah, you were afraid? What's the matter with you, Elijah, that you were so fearful? Why couldn't you have been a man of faith? Why couldn't you have stood up and said, you know what, you mean queen, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Most of us would take that approach. We would, we kind of, you know, cluck our tongues a little bit at him and say, shame on him. No, not shame on him. Because you know what? It's true to reality. It's true to life. From time to time, you feel so afraid and you get so exhausted by what it is that you're trying to accomplish for the kingdom of God that all of a sudden you have to draw back. And here now in the midst of his drawing back and his getting alone, God is ministering to him. God is taking care of him. God isn't condemning him, pointing his finger at him. God is about to lift him up and help him once again. Listen to what the Bible says, verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. He's about to go further and further into the desert. And he says, You've got to eat again, Elijah. And here another meal was prepared for him. Here all of a sudden he looks down. Here's another, another little cake ready for him. Jar of water. And he is ready. God is taking care of him in the desert of despair. Sometimes you think you're alone. He left his servant thinking, I'm going to be all alone in this desert. He wasn't alone in the desert. He was walking out there. And God had his eye on him every step of the way. You might think you're walking alone in the midst of your despair. But you're not. Somebody is with you to help you and minister strength to your life so that you don't have to feel like giving up anymore. We don't see him praying the same prayer anymore. We don't see him after that nap, after that good sleep, that good rest and the meals. We don't see him, Lord, take my life. We don't see him praying that. But here's what he gets next. He gets a lesson in listening. And I don't know, this is where we sort of take a turn on the roller coaster. You see, he, was, he had plummeted down. He had, the mean queen had just come along and he was down in the depths and, and it seemed like everything was just going crazy and he's out in the desert and he's in that desert of despair. But now he's going to take one of those turns and, and things are going to change. The scenery is going to change. Things are going to look a little bit different. Look at verses 3 through 7, or I'm sorry, 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Listen to what the Bible says. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? What are you doing out here? We're gonna, we don't have time to read it. But in these next few verses that follow after verse 9, 
you begin to see how God comes to him and, and how it was that God was going to teach him to listen for his voice. So often in the Old Testament, we read about the people of Israel. They were familiar with the fire of God. They were familiar with that being a, 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 a picture and, 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 a, and a proof of his presence with them. And then we see the wind and then the earthquake, all of these things. At one point in their history or another, it was, it was proof to them that God was there. But one of the things that we have to remember is that it's not always the, the loud show. That it's not always the loud things. It's not always something that's happening in a service where God is going to speak to you. But it is what, what Elijah had to learn about even more. And it was this. That all of a sudden, instead of all of these things, there was this whisper. Just this whisper. And therein was the presence of the Lord. Therein was the voice of God. God had something to say to him, but it wasn't with the fire coming down out of heaven consuming a sacrifice. It wasn't with the wind that came and caused the, the place to just feel as though it was going to pull him off the mountain. It wasn't the earthquake that made him feel as though, you know, the, my, my, something's going to go out from under me. But instead, it was that still small voice. Can I encourage you in times of prayer that from time to time we have to do one thing while we're praying. We have to close our mouths and listen. Because you know what? It's not always going to be that God is going to come in some you know, powerful show of His presence, but nonetheless He is going to minister to you just the same and give you what you need and strengthen you and speak your, to your heart and encourage you in Him simply by that still, small voice, that gentle whisper. It, it, it's not always in the loud meetings. It's not always in the preaching, even the loud preaching. It's not even always in that. It is the voice of the Lord from time to time comes to your heart. And he speaks to you so gently with a whisper in your spirit. And listen, he was teaching him how to listen to him. God has to teach us to listen to his spirit more and more. To listen to his voice. And here was his message. And this is where God began to bring things to a close on that roller coaster ride. Back to safety. Back to where you ought to be. Back to where you feel like. Things are going to be okay. Listen to what the Bible says, verses 13 to 18. Let's just read that very quickly. The Bible says, and this is where God encourages him to carry on with courage. Carry on with courage. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Let me just stop reading right there. The one thing that we have to remember in all of this is we are not alone, and sometimes we feel like we're alone. He says, I'm the only one left doing anything for God. I'm the only one. God's about to correct him on that. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, uh, Meholah, 
so, uh, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve, listen to this, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. He said, Elijah, you think you're all alone. You think that you're the only guy out there going through anything and doing anything for me, and you're exhausting yourself with that thought. Can I just tell you, I've got 7,000 people who have yet to bow their knee to Baal. 7,000. We go from 1 to 7,000. The number gets larger, it gets bigger. All of a sudden now, he's saying to him, listen, you can carry on with courage. You see, the way that we're able to do that is we have to remember two important things. First, we have to realize that God has a better plan in store for you than where you are right now. You might want to run. You might want to say, forget it. I'm, I'm tired. I can't give anymore. I can't do anymore. But listen to what he says to him. Twice he says to him in this passage, what are you doing here? In other words, Elijah, there isn't anything for you to do for the kingdom right here. All alone is not where things get done for the, word, for, for the kingdom of God. You can't say, well, I'm just going to sit here and pray all day. Well, I'm glad you're going to pray. But how about live the life in front of people? How about encourage people to come to church? Encourage people to come to the Lord. Live a life that's pleasing to God in a world that says, who cares how you live? You honor God with your life. Realize that God has a better plan in store for you. And then also we have to realize that we're not alone during the ups and downs of our problems. He got the idea in his head that he was the only one going through his situation. Like the old song somebody once wrote, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Is that somehow you're the only one it's all ever happened to. And you know what? In the end, you're not the only one. In the end, there are others who are, are, are faithful to the Lord. And yes, they might be struggling from time to time, but they're faithful to the Lord and everything that God has called them to do. Listen, brothers and sisters, on this roller coaster ride with Elijah, I have seen and I have found that often it mirrors the life that we lead. It mirrors the life. You want to get encouraged? Go back and read about Elijah. Go back to chapter 18 and 19 and begin to read what this man was feeling and what he was going through. I've only scratched the surface of some of these things that he was dealing with and he had to go through. But nonetheless, God brings him safely to the place of usefulness. Because you know how I know that? I know that because he gets up from where he is and he goes and he does what God wants him to do. He gets up from the place where God had him and where he was all alone. And he begins to go and do what the Lord has called him to do. He doesn't sit there. He doesn't build a little hut and become a hermit. He doesn't sit there in the desert and say, well, the desert's the only place for me. This is my place. People want to hear about God, they can come to me. You know, so often that's how we feel about our church. People want to hear about the Lord, let them come in here. No, 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 it's got to happen out there. Look, we've had precious few who just walk in off the street. Precious few. It's, it's, I'm sorry, it's not, it's not like, it's not like, I don't know if you remember the, the, the movie Field of Dreams. And, and where, you know, the, the, the whispers come, build it, and they will come. 
You know, that's how we view our churches and our buildings sometimes. Build it and they'll come. That, no. They, they will come because they see your life. They will come because you invite them. They'll come because they see you. Maybe go through dark moments in your life, but you know what? You come out of that thing safely. You get back into that place of usefulness for the kingdom of God. You pull through that desert of despair. You, you come through that threat from the mean queen, and you pull out of that thing, and you come to that place of usefulness and say, I can carry on with courage. Why? Because the Lord is with you, and you're not doing it alone. I wonder if we could just bow our heads before we take communion, before the ushers come to help with communion. Maybe it is that you're going through a dark moment in your life. Maybe through the situations that you've been faced with and you deal with, time after time you feel as though somehow you just can't carry on. You can't keep going. You can't keep doing it. And you know what? I want you to know today, you say, well, that's, that's not how I should feel as a Christian. I should always feel victorious. I should always feel as though I'm an overcomer. And Well, we know that we can do all things through Christ. We know that. But you know what? From time to time, life, the enemy, threats of the enemy seem to get too much of our hearts, too much of our attention. Maybe it is today that you came into this building feeling and sensing in your heart, you know what, I, I just, I feel like giving up. I feel like the struggles are too great. You know what, you need to read about Elijah again. Go back and look at what it is that he went through. And that, that he had such a great experience with God, and yet he went down to the lowest of the lows and the depths of life. And yet God saw him through it. God brought him through with mercy and with grace. And God will bring you through with grace and with mercy. If you will let him come into your heart and spirit. If you're here today and that's you, you say, I need the Lord to help me. Just lift up your hand and take it down. Say, I need the Lord to minister his grace and his help. Yes. Yes. All over the building. Just hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Let's pray right now. And then we're going to take communion together for those who have given their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ and are serving Him. Heavenly Father, today we thank You for Your mercy. I thank You, Lord, for Your grace and Your power. Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus that You administer Your peace and Your help to Your people. Lord God, I pray today that You would encourage us, O God, as a body of believers, to give our all to You. Lord, I pray that even in the moments where we feel that we're on the mountaintop, we like that to continue forever. But Lord, we know that's not reality. God, I pray that You would help us never to sink to the lows. Help us not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices and what it is that he's going to try to do to discourage us. Help us to be overcomers in You, Lord. Help us, Lord, to trust in You and to have faith in You, O God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray for the power of the Spirit to come down and for You to minister to Your people in such a way that will strengthen and help them, O God. Lord God, we pray in the name of Jesus that You would come and You would strengthen Your people today. Lord, I pray that they would serve You with everything that is within them. And Lord, help them today to never give up. Never, never give up, O oh God. Lord, we love You. And Lord, we give You the praise. 
I pray that you would pour in strength to each and every life today in Jesus' name. Amen.